Welcome to The Visible Leader, the podcast that challenges conventional leadership and inspires you to create a workplace culture that empowers your team. Join me as I talk to thought leaders and change makers about practical ways to apply new learning and rethink the status quo. Get ready to become a visible leader in your organization. So welcome, Phil and Felix, to my podcast. I'm really excited to have this long-awaited conversation with you. I think a good place for us to kick off is tell us a little about yourselves and your business within, and uh, we can start from there. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's great to be here. So thanks for having us. Uh, well, why don't, why don't I start by, by sharing how, how Felix and I came to be working together. That started about 12 years ago when, when Felix and, and the MD of a small consultancy recruited me in to join their team. And at the time, there was about 35 people working for a creative agency in Soho. And I, I joined to help um, build up one of their new divisions. And um, I guess over the last 12 years, we've, we've, we've sort of come as a bit of a package. So um, we, we worked together uh, consulting with, with big blue chip clients. And then our first foray into leadership was when we were catapulted into a, a joint MD position running our London office um, at, a, at a big time of change for that company. So that was, that was where we sort of learned a lot about each other and how to lead. We then went our separate ways. I went to Boston, spent four years as a chief people officer out there and um, Felix ran our EMEA and APAC operations over here as CEO. And now we're running a new business together where we're focused on building connected cultures in workplaces. Uh, we're called Within. So um, yeah, that's us. And, and Felix can probably add some color too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe I can double click a bit on the kind of co-leadership piece um, because that's not very um, common for people to you know be a co-md and to keep wanting to work together so i guess we i guess looking back it was quite an unorthodox choice for us to be both made mds none of us had really yeah known that we wanted to be an md or or had that in mind but we were asked to do it and i think it worked well because we have very similar values in terms of what we believe in and what Good work looks like what uh, you know. What good work ethic might look like? What, how we want to run a people centric business, but we're also very different from a skills point of view. So, you know, from a personality wise, Phil is ENFP. I'm INTJ, so very complementary characters who respect each other a lot. And I think we felt we had a really great run together at C Space, and we felt let's let's kind of recreate some of the magic we had there and um, and do that in a new business. So that's that's why we launched in February. Great, yeah. So you've you can work well together. Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's mm. that's established. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fact. So I, I was having a little look at your um, website and your mission is to radically improve employee mental health by building connection at work. That's your your place now. So my, my first thought was, what do you mean by connection? That's a big question. I think... Perhaps the way to answer the question about connection is 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 almost to look at its opposite and think about what disconnected workplaces look like. And I think what we saw in our own organization and what probably many organizations and, and people have experienced themselves over the last few years is, is a sense of disconnection in the world. Lots of polarized opinions, lots of people, uh, there's talk of a loneliness epidemic, 
there's a lot of strife going on in the world. And in our workplaces, we're also seeing that people are disengaged. There's this talk of quiet quitting, mm. um, the great resignation, and and the all of the forces that have sort of come upon us as a result of the pandemic and, and the new ways in which we're working. And I think we found in our own organization, uh, I mean, we, we really focused on culture. We had a really vibrant office-led culture. We'd won lots of awards for being best place to work, but we still experienced this sense of disconnection as we emerged from the pandemic. And I guess what how that manifested was in attrition, um, people ne- not necessarily showing, feeling they can show up as themselves, um, burnout, high emotions, and this sense of sort of disengagement. And I guess connection, to come back to your original question, is, is, is really the reverse of that, a sense of knowing yourself, a sense of having strong relationships with others, uh, a sense of having purpose in your work. And um, I think that's really what we're trying to do through our new organization, work with organizations and, and intentionally help them um, shape cultures so that people feel more connected to themselves and to the organizations that they're working within. Mm, yeah. So it's a big cultural thing that you can see when you go in if there's a, a sense of disconnect. I also think that probably hybrid work and, and some of the kind of future of work challenges that we have been through and that we see in the, you know, everywhere in, in organizations are contributing to a sense of disconnection. So I think if we, if people, spend a lot of time on zoom they have very you know functional meetings they talk about work they talk about objectives they talk about what do we need to do next and they don't do a lot of intentional bonding or yeah building relationship with their peers it's quite it's quite a pragmatic approach to work and i think a lot of stuff gets lost if that's the only thing you do Mm -hmm. um so so the question is if you you know if the hybrid work is here to stay how can we connect people with each other in those environments and and create more connective tissue to have better trust, better productivity, better, yeah, more fulfillment at work, really. Mm. Yeah, the, the word, the trust word, is is just so important, isn't it? And I, knowing knowing what it feels like to run sessions over Teams and not do any of that bit at the beginning where you chat about the weekend and you you have a bit of a human element to it, just going straight into it. Yeah, there's something that's lost, definitely. I can see that too. So. Thinking about my hard-faced, no, I work with lovely leaders that are always smiling, but often the the thing that it comes down to is the so what, you know, could it be a bit nicer to work in this environment? Yes, but how is that going to affect my business? How how is that going to have an effect to the bottom line? What, What are your thoughts? I think that there are so many different ways of answering that question, Um, but I think if people are feeling more connected to one another, then inherent is that in that is that they are feeling more safe with one another. If they're feeling safe with one another, then they are able to dissent, um, have conflicting ideas, be more creative, be more innovative. Uh, So on one level, there's increased psychological safety and that leads to more collaboration, better ideas, more innovation. And there's, there's great books, Amy Evanson, has written huge amounts on psychological safety, which which I think speak to some of that. If people are feeling more connected, then they feel that they're included in it and that they belong. And that is likely to lead to increased retention of those people, mm-hmm. um, increased yeah. contribution, increased productivity, and the things that Felix spoke to, which have really hard measures. 
um, it's going to decrease mental health issues in the organization. And I, I read a Deloitte report the other day that said mental health costs UK businesses £56 billion a year in turnover, um, absenteeism, presenteeism, all of those sorts of things. So I think those are some of the arguments that you can use with with a CFO. And I think they resonate with some and, and they don't resonate with all, all CEOs. Like, no, yeah, absolutely. Experience too. Some people believe the stats, and and some people don't. I think you know. Just last week, we had two conversations with two very different types of leaders. One was really interested in reducing sick days, and so they looked at their database and said, "If I can reduce sick leave by twenty percent, I can service a hundred million dollar account with all that time that is being wasted otherwise." So, if you can come in and help us make a small dent in our sick leave, especially the, the run around mental health, that would be huge. Someone yeah. else. Uh, a CEO of a, of a big consultancy says, I, I don't really mind attrition. I don't have that issue. I don't mind sick leave. I don't have that issue. My issue is everyone's batteries are low. I, I need, you know, kind of to re-energize my people for complicated times. Is that something that you can help with? So I think it really depends on the type of leader, what, what metric and what kind of, um, yeah, what kind of diagnostic is really uh, pressing the most for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's never one size fits all, is it? So, We've looked at connection, why it's important, this, this, this massive link to mental health and how that can really have an impact. How might a leader go about kind of diagnosing that there's a bit of a disconnect? What, what do you think they could do which would tune into it or, or what flavour of disconnect there might be? I think there's probably various data points that would start to suggest that there's a problem. So uh, I think in terms of hard HR data, if turnover is increasing, if attrition is increasing, if the themes that are coming out in exit interviews, if, if they do them, are to do with burnout or people not feeling that there's purpose in their work or that they're struggling. I think most organizations are doing employee engagement surveys of some description, uh, some probably in more meaningful ways than other. But if that data starts to show that people are not feeling supported at work, that they're struggling, that they don't have the tools and resources to do their jobs well, that's going to be another indicator. But I think I think more than anything, it's it's the human conversations that people are having with their teams because the the, the hard data will be indicators. There's also just going to be the conversations. Mm between managers and their teams and, and that sense of what's really going on in the organization. Like what are people saying? How are people showing up? And and sometimes it's what goes unsaid, the, the sort of visceral feeling you have in team meetings. Are, are people still speaking up and engaged mm. or are they sort of resigned to their fate and, and just sort of staring at the screen? So I think tuning into some of those kind of things and, and not just listening through the official measures can also, can also be really helpful in, in diagnosing some of these things. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, all these different avenues to get to this information, isn't it? And sometimes you can just feel it, can't you? It's trying to connect with what's actually going on. And I was also just wondering, like, obviously, you've got stuff that's happened around hybrid working and remote working and the 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 COVID situation. But what blockers or things do people in business the people at the leadership level do that promotes disconnect because i can i know in a minute i want to talk to you about how we can promote connection but what are people doing right now that is actually 
might be promoting disconnect. It might be that they don't intend that. They're not like intentionally wanting to harm people's mental health, but unintended consequences is it's leading us to the same place. Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. I think sometimes what we see a lot of in if we do one-to-one conversations is that leaders, of course, have become leaders because they're good at problem solving. They're they're really, you know, they have exceptional cognitive skills. They have they're an expert in their field and they have been promoted often because they have been able to sort stuff out. And I think what happens in a one-to-one situation with a leader and their team, often that maybe the team brings an issue to them and the leader only ever wants to solve the problem. Sometimes the team just doesn't need a solution. They just need to be listened to. They just need to say, I had a rough day at home and it's really tricky, but they don't want the leader to say, why don't you go for a walk? Or have you tried leaving at 4 p.m.? Or what about the nursery one? Can your wife do that? That's often the go-to place for leaders is is to go to solutionizing and very often that disconnects between the leader and that that conversation because they they just needed someone to say yeah i can i can see this is stressful they didn't need any solution mm-hmm. that's just a very you know practical one-to-one thing that leaders often do that disconnects mm-hmm. them i think I see that we, we talked about over-reliance on zoom or over-reliance on on zoom calls to do functional stuff and to not think about like where does culture happen in our organization whether we are remote or in the office it doesn't matter where, where are we intentional about being a group of people that share some fate together, share time together. How, how have you baked things into the week where you connect with each other as humans and not just as accountants or as people who are project managers? So I think that's, that's I think, missing in a lot of organizations is intent around, around creating connections. And then you have a, you know, a disengaged, disenfranchised workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's so, there are so many things. I, I think everything from closing down conversations um not role modeling healthy behaviors themselves oh, one, um, absolutely so, yeah like working the weekend sending late night emails mm. um expecting that others might do the same not taking holidays through to i think probably some of the the things that can also be damaging and i think we learned this probably from doing it a bit ourselves and then and then correcting based on listening to feedback but 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 performative measures around mental health as well so um sticking up something on your website on mental health awareness week saying that we've brought in a speaker to teach you all about resilience and that being the one thing you do all year to to support staff rather than Mm. see it as a cultural challenge a leadership challenge an ongoing systemic issue that needs to be tackled so i think i think it that that's also prevalent this this sort of sense of well-being washing that that can be quite damaging yeah yeah yeah, yeah the bowl of fruit yeah and yeah. i'm partial to a bowl of fruit we had a bowl of fruit in our <laughs> office and and it went down well but we weren't under any illusions that the bowl of fruit was going to be the solution to any challenges yeah. we had around culture and well-being yeah yeah absolutely do do you see a difference when you're working with corporate organizations versus smaller SMEs? Do you see the same symptoms and the same, it shows up the same or is there any kind of differences you've noticed? Because the bowl of fruit's more corporate, it tends to be, doesn't it? I think it really is quite a, a, a function of how many people are in that business, I think. So I think, you know, below 100, very often you have a still quite a, I don't want to say family feel because work shouldn't be a family and isn't a family, but you have a 
people know everyone's names pretty much the, the the leaders know everyone's names pretty much and it's it's more of a community feel often no matter mm -hmm. what kind of business it is if it's if it goes over 115 that's quite a, a critical mark that layer of familiarity gets lost and you have you know tribes or kind of smaller groups of people that 30 35 size teams that have microcultures and then you have multiples of that so i think there's probably a big difference between those sizes and and how much you can still know the people around you or whether you you care about the people that are, are you know in your business in your in your in your floor so i think those are the market differences that we see in our work mm -hmm. i think i don't know phil whether yeah. you agree yeah i think so i think um i think a lot of it comes down to the, the intention of the leadership team as well so you can have small companies where um, the the cultures might be quite toxic and where the leaders might know everyone's names, but they also might have a culture uh, of super long hours, which might be acceptable to people and that might be part of the culture or, or might might lead to burnout. And then you can have large organizations which um, have very structured, intentional ways of building culture and looking after their people um, and vice versa. So I think I think the challenges are, are different. And, and, and again, the most successful companies are navigating these sorts of challenges, except that companies go through different stages and there, mm -hmm. there are going to be different things that they need to dial up and down at different times to 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 shift the culture and to, to ensure people are set up to be successful. Yeah, yeah. I'm so interested, Felix, in what you said about the family feel and companies should be family feel. Like, I'm not suggesting they should be family feel, but sometimes I am working with people and what part of the culture is they want it to keep retain that family feel. And I do sometimes see leaders that are friends with their staff, you know, in this sort of not just friendly, but they're like potentially drinking and friends with the staff. I'm just curious about your view on it. I know we might be diverging a bit, but since you said that, it pulled me in. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of strong boundaries. I've always been. I've always that has always been. You know, it's not a development of area of mind to have good boundaries. I've always been good at that. So I I do believe that, um, you know, drinking culture has a whole issue in itself. I think it is is kind of on on the out. But I think if the leader is going drinking with with just a couple of people regularly and not the other ones, I think that's a that's an issue and that's that's yeah. a, a problem in terms of how you how you behave yourself. People as leaders, people always underestimate how much they are in the spotlight and how many people are watching mm -hmm. them and and watch whatever they do. So I think that has significance. So you need to. Yeah, you're watched all the time, so you, you kind of can't do that. What would look like favoritism or, you know, not appropriate behavior. So I think that's that's important. Well, why why are certain elements of the family maybe appealing as a as a metaphor or as something that's important? I think you you do want to look after your people. You do want to care for them. You do want them to respect you. All of those things you also want to take place in families. So of course, we loan certain relationship dynamics from the family potentially, but we should be very careful to not then turn that into a patriarchal system where it's like, you know, mm. I'm, I'm providing for you. And as a result, you need to kind of do these things. So I think it's, mm. it's, a, it's a fine balance, but boundaries, I, I would over index on boundaries and, and making them healthy and, and not blurring these things. It can, it can lead to trouble. And fundamentally you can't fire your family, but you can, I mean, you, I guess you can divorce or you could disappear, <laughs> but you, you ultimately may need to fire people at work mm. during a downsizing and, and they may be people with whom you're close. It's funny, I actually just posted something today on a comment. Someone was talking about the importance of building friendships at work. And I think there's a lot of evidence that says that if you have a best friend at work, um, someone you can confide in, 
then you're much more likely to perform and feel like you belong and stay at a company. And I and I had um, commented on this piece that I read that I, I don't think it's really about trying to have people forge friendships, but it is about helping people form strong relationships. Mm. And some of those may turn into friendships. I have lots of yeah. worked with who I am also friends with, and I think I was friends with them at the time. Um, but but as Felix said, there's definitely a, a line to be drawn because yeah. Um, because it's the professional stuff that gets gets in the way. I, th- I think the word boundaries is so important to that, isn't it? And to mental health, and you know, a lot a lot of the symptoms here about long hours and emailing at the wrong times and all of that is is that um, lack of clarity around boundaries and not feeling that you can be boundaried around when you reply and what time you leave. I definitely encounter that with people, which creates attention and a disconnect so I got but I got us back to disconnect <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking I really want these conversations um that I have with people like you and it's lovely talking to you and just really getting your insights and your thoughts about all this stuff which is such such an important subject I want to move us to what steps somebody in a leadership role whether it's a corporate or they know they're in the top team of an SME so they've looked at the data whatever survey they run or whatever informal conversations they've had and they sense that there's some sort of disconnect issue and they realize the importance of doing something about it and they do really care about mental health what can they do what practical steps could they take I think I just want to connect to something you said earlier. You said like, oh, you know, we often run workshops and we just launch straight into it. I think that's a very, very micro thing. Any any leader can do at the beginning of a meeting um, that would provide a bit more space for us as humans. Like something something we do a lot in our workshops is just simply, you know, state your name at the beginning of a workshop and and name a number between one and 10, which denotes how you feel right now and give us one sentence why you feel the way you do. And then you just go, walk through the room, takes two minutes, five minutes, depending on how many people. And then you will hear something like, my, my name is Peter, I'm a four. My child is uh, off sick today, so they're lying in the, in the room next to me and I've got a big deliverable and I don't know what to do about it. So, of course, that happens when you have a bit more safety and a bit more openness. So mm-hmm. that's, But mm-hmm. if you have that information as a leader, you've understood the room, you've read the room, you know the temperature of the room, you know how to mm-hmm. run the meeting, you know that you need to be mindful of that person's time and that you you can recognize that and i think that's a super simple thing to kind of create a bit more humanity into a meeting and mm, you know that. it's a t- it's a tiny thing but it changes if you do it well and if you lead by mm. example for example yeah, you, should, uh, first, you should do it yeah. you should do it first right like you <laughs> yeah. have leaders who then ask other people to do it without going first which is um, when i do that with my uh, the teams i work with i love it when they incorporate me into it because sometimes i do forget about myself but what i love even more is when i've worked with them for a while and then i like I'll go away and maybe I'll come back in but one of the key things that they've held on to is that check-in that that space their confidence to do it because I think until they see it working they think it's a bit personal but actually when you see it working you realize how how it sets the tone for great great meetings so yes lovely Hmm. I see a lot of people um they they look at the data as you said they see that there might be a problem or they sense there might be a problem and then they jump into solutions so oh people are not collaborating properly. So I'm going to bring in some training to train them to collaborate or um, people are working too long hours. So we're going to launch a policy about no emails after eight o'clock. I think 
people sometimes miss that step of like, let's define like, what are some of, get get really concrete. So what are mm. some of the negative behaviors that we are seeing? What are some of the positive behaviors that we would like to see? And then what are some of the root causes that are driving those behaviors? So is it about, they're following the example of the CEO who always works at 10 o'clock at night? Or is it that the policy isn't clear? Or is it that they want everyone to stop emailing at seven o'clock? Or is it more that they want to create permission for people to work when they want, but just to be clear that if you get an email from me at seven, I've got no expectation that you might need to reply. And Mm -hmm. I think if you can get clear on the the, the bad behaviors or the undesired behaviors and the desired ones, you can then start to think about the right solutions before you just jump to the answer. Um, It takes a little bit more time, but I think that reflective process can yield so many insights about uh, about how to change and it can prevent people spending a lot of time and money on things that are not really uh, treating the the root cause of the problem and then they get initiative tiredness don't they they get weary initiative overload and and I think that's one of the things that we're seeing right now I think rightly so many people responded to the the challenges of the pandemic and and now they're looking at their their solutions for employee well-being and they they do have fruit in the office and they have a well-being app and they have an online therapy platform and they have three or four different trainers and they're looking at those solutions and they're not quite sure what's working and what's not because they're not necessarily collecting data. They're spending a lot of money. And the things that were right maybe two years ago are maybe not right for where the organization is at right now. So again, those leaders that I think are taking a pause, looking at what they've got, what's not working, what is working, and then and then moving forward. I think are mm-hmm. also going to find themselves more successful in the in the coming years as they continue to grapple with these challenges. I think there's also a lot of an awful lot of tick boxing going on. So, like employees say, mental health is your responsibility. Employer, do something about it. And the employer is like, oh, fast, we need to do something. Let's put something on the website. We've we've done it. Tick the box. Next issue. But that's not how health works, and that's also definitely not how mental health works. So, you know superficial initiatives that are not really an investment in actually changing anything it's and that's actually you know it's sometimes it's better not to do anything rather than to do something and to pretend it solved it and so talk about increasing your disconnect by mm-hmm. getting people doing initiatives that aren't really well thought out or don't really actually deal with the root cause yeah. anything else that c- comes to mind about things that you can do there's something we we did uh well i think at cspace and we did an awful lot of uh which is um like a weekly meeting we called it friday at four it was a weekly meeting that we had every friday at four it actually was at four thirty, but that was the running gag and at that meeting we would <laughs> get get together online or face-to-face over for 45 minutes and we would do welcome any new joiners say goodbye to anyone who's leaving the business with proper speeches and kind of comedy skits um share any new business wins that have come in this week that had been signed and we could celebrate that and any other kind of uh, shout outs on behavior so we had a set of behaviors and then i, I could say i want to nominate um, phil for show the love because this week he's helped uh with the accounting team and 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 you know they had to work long hours and he bought them some fruit or whatever and then people would do other shout outs bring you know appreciating each other and we did that mm. really religiously every week and that was a moment to just come together you know form an identity of this is who we are this is how we treat our people and this is this is this is what we do and then everyone would you know still have a beer and and then maybe go back to the desk and do some work but we would just make that very 
mm. intentional. So it was a ritual. And some people felt, oh, it's a bit like a cult and it's too intense and I'm introverted, but we just did it anyway. And it worked quite well to keep some cohesiveness and some connection going. Mm. So mm. you might say that only works in creative agencies. I don't think it does. I think you can find your way of doing that. But if you don't meet once a week or if you don't have a moment to say goodbye and hello to people, like why are you even running a business? Yeah. It's like some of the things you say about doing what you notice is in small, maybe more kind of traditional companies, they'll do that and it will be a company day and they'll do it like once a year. And it's like, yeah, we're going to get everybody together. And you just, it's so lovely hearing this other version of it where it's just like feeding the culture and it's a regular connection point and working out how to do it so it's not onerous. And like you say, that people that, you know, maybe they're more introverted they don't want to have people jump up and down about them, but it's done done in a way that works for people mm. it's a bit like appraisals people doing appraisal we're going to do an appraisal of you once a year and actually oh, so often that the, the check-in <laughs> the monthly check-in is gonna meet that need so much better so it's interesting it may, made me think of it no i was just going to say to, to, to the point about it not working for everyone i was speaking to someone the other day and they do they do sort of half an hour tea and cake uh, so it's very low energy in terms. It's not like a big public thing, but it's just a time where you can drop in and, and the whole sort of organization stops and they can drop in and have tea and cake if they want for half an hour. Mm-hmm. It's just a moment in their day. Another thing we did was sort of normalize walk and talks. So when people have got video fatigue, it's so nice when someone says, should we just turn our videos off? Why don't we go old school and get out? side walk around for half an hour either together or if you're working in different locations just do it on the phone mm. get some exercise you get some fresh air you connect and why not uh, but it does require someone to to do it first um to to normalize it to create permission for others to do it um and i think the more that leaders managers step up and see that that's their responsibility to do it for others the better it will be and the more they will help their own mental health as well so yeah, yeah it, it's sort of a win-win yeah, I, I'm doing. I, now that weather's improving, I'm doing coaching and walking as, mm. as and when I can. Although recently I said, "Can I? Could it be great?" I know they're really into fitness, and they're like, "I don't really want to sweat during <laughs> working day." I'm like, mm, "Yeah, that's that is a <laughs> unintended consequence <laughs> of getting out there when it's like 25 degrees or whatever it has been." It's so funny, though, because so much of it that is about boundaries and what's right for you. Like, yes. uh, I had people organize intense collaborative workouts and I was like I don't necessarily want to work out in front of my team um but if that works for them great um I had other ways that worked for me and I think that's another thing that's so important in this topic accepting that you need a variety of different things available that don't assume the same thing will work for everyone yeah um take an experimental approach except you're going to do some things that might not work keep thinking about like how you can change things Mm. keep things fresh they're, they're always to, to to make a topic that is very heavy um actually a bit more accessible and, and fun as well yeah i think experiments are the way forward it's a lovely way of keeping it light and keeping everybody engaged with with how it is rather than we are doing this initiative and it's gonna you know never end yeah. no one wants another initiative really Nobody does do they not really not in their hearts i think the one thing that me and Phil are quite passionate about is this whole notion of the power of groups. Because I think we see a lot of like, you know, when you look at the mental health space, there's a lot of apps. So you download an app and you tell the app whether you're happy or not and you track yourself or you get you you, you speak to a therapist one-to-one and all that is fine and good and works. But I think what we've found really being quite powerful is, is this question of how can we activate 
a group of employees that are part of the same organization for the well-being and the connection of, of that business. Because that way we are not taking an individual out and say, hey, Phil, you seem to have an issue. Why don't you sort yourself out with a shrink? And when you're good again, then you're allowed to come back and play with us. But you actually say, we we are a group and we are all have mental health and we can listen to each other. We can hold each other's space. And Phil is part of that group and he will be able to heal someone or help someone and, and vice versa. And then the group realizes, wow, we are effective. We don't need gurus. We just can activate our own powers to do that. And I think that's completely mm -hmm. underleveraged in business is the fact that we have all these powers in us, within us. And so I think that's kind of worth standing on the soapbox for is the, is the kind of how, can, you know, the groups, you've got everything that you need already. You don't need always experts. Sometimes you do, but I think for the vast majority of connection issues, it's already, you know, the people are there. You need to connect them. You don't need something else to bring into them. Yeah, I love it. I think this sense that we're, we are resourced, we can do this, you know, and actually we don't need to outsource connection <laughs> necessarily. But I think setting up and, and that expertise to, to li just listening to you talking about this and my knowledge about, you know, this initiative fatigue and everything can be really valuable. But I think sustaining it, you know, that, that these businesses have got that within them that they can they can keep doing the check-ins. They can keep doing that group. They don't need to have someone come in to like do a group conversation totally. with them. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. I guess my, my one build on what Felix just shared around connection is perhaps related and is this sense of focusing on prevention rather than cure. So similar to the point around leveraging the power of groups. I think it's really easy to wait until you're in a point of distress before seeking help, either yeah. on an individual level or at an organizational level. And I think if organizations can just bake this into their culture, into the way they are every day, investing in the development of their teams, investing in relationships, making space for people to have these conversations, not just at times of turmoil, uh, after redundancies or when there's another school shooting in America or whatever it might be, that's really important, but just make it part of the day-to-day, the -day, mm. ensure that people are connected. And I think a lot of the issues we see in our organizations will start to be mitigated as people learn to better support themselves and each other. Mm. And I, a nice thought to, uh, to bring us to a close. Thank you so much. It's been great catching up and talking to you about this subject. And I've learned a lot and... I look forward to hearing more from you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for the thoughtful questions. Thank you, Karine. Thanks for listening to the Visible Leader podcast. To stay up to date with the latest episode, hit the subscribe button. And I'd love to hear what you think, so please leave me a review. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to me, Corinne Hines on LinkedIn.